Welcome to Emerging Europe Talks, bringing you expert insight on innovation and technology, sustainable social and economic growth, business, politics and culture, and helping you navigate the Emerging Europe region. Hosted by Andrew Robel. Remember to visit the show's page, emerging-europe.com forward slash multimedia, or check the hashtag EETalks on social media. This is Emerging Europe Talks Partnership, and we'll focus on data protection and privacy today. Uh, my name is Andrew Robel, and I am your host. And today I am joined by Julian Zavistovsky, a visionary and an entrepreneur and the founder of Golem Foundation. The foundation runs projects that democratize access to computing, break corporate data silos, and strengthen the position of individual users versus service providers. Julian, welcome to Emerging Europe Talks. Hello, Andrew. Happy to be here today. Awesome. So if we look at you know, the situation around us, companies like Google or Facebook might collect you know, far more personal data about their users than those users even you know, realize. On top of that, we obviously have the pandemic, and we've been asked to share a lot of personal data and of course you know for the for quite some time already we've experienced quite a few data breaches and and there's also surveillance like cameras using facial recognition where is data privacy in all of this what's your take on that well i think that the most important thing we have to realize when when discussing data privacy is that there are multiple layers of the problem so the fact that, for example, like uh, big platforms collect a lot of data, a lot of data on us, and use them in various fields is the result of the business model. So, so internet evolved in a way that it is a free service that is provided in exchange of your data, and this is bad for many, many reasons. But this is how it is at the moment. Of course, like uh, governments uh, using uh, personal data for around COVID or many other things is something uh, a little bit different. We could imagine a yes. world where you have a pretty good privacy of your data from the platforms, but still government wants to like, uh, put hand on, on, on the data and, and use it for whatever they want to, to use it. Then, uh, of course, uh, breaches and, and anything uh, related to, to hacking of services of, or our accounts or our ministers' accounts is something else as well. So we, we can, of course, discuss all those fields, but I think that the most interesting is, is the first one. So, so mm -hmm. how it comes that, that the that platforms have so much control over our information about us, why this is bad and what we could try to do about it. So why is it bad and how come you know, this actually happened? Let's start with how it happened because I, I think this is this is interesting and this is also like the the nice reference to our modern history in Europe I think so I I, I believe that what happened or what is still happening here can be referred to as salami tactics so so this is you know Hungarian way of of dealing with things with opposition for example that that you just take like a small steps one step at a time. And before your opponent realized that, you know, too much of the salami was cut, 
the game is over already. So I think that pretty much the same happens with the with how we interact with the service providers on the internet. So it started out in the 90s and the model of the internet was free back then for many reasons, but the most important reason was that there were virtually no means of paying for things, no means yes. of paying for content. So everything evolved around advertising. And while it was not that obvious at the late 90s and uh, at the beginning of this century that this will work, this is pretty obvious at the moment that it worked and, yeah, and yes. you know advertising uh, online advertising is a massive business and of course it is structured around using information like a personal information of users and delivering advertising to that users tailored in a, in a way that will make that advertising as efficient as possible and why i think that that alone is already uh, pretty bad Probably it is not that bad, like, you know, if you, if you want to consume things and then you get better information on the new hair dryer or whatever you want to buy, perhaps it is cool. I don't think it is cool, but I can imagine that some people think it is cool. And of course, this is a narrative of, of, of the platforms that, that mm -hmm. helps businesses, that help, helps customers to get information and, and so on. I don't think I agree with that, but if the problem was limited to the advertising alone, I, I think that wouldn't be that bad. But of course, what, what comes next is that you can advertise not only hair dryers, you can, you, can, you can advertise policy agendas, you can advertise ideologies, you can advertise like just everything. And then it turns out that this gives quite a lot of power over us and quite a lot of power over our societies. And this is dangerous, I think. And this is something we should do something about. What do you think is the awareness of that? How, how do you see that, especially in, in, you know, in countries like Poland or, or Hungary? You mentioned Hungary. Do people realize that they are, their data is actually owned by all those platforms and other players? Well, I, I think globally, awareness is growing. I think it is growing much faster in more developed countries like US or, or Western Europe, because there are like the examples of what, what, what is happening were in the in the last few years much more visible. Like take the, the, the political divide in US or like what happened in, in, in United Kingdom are the of course the prime Brexit, examples yes. and, and everyone knows that, so we don't need to discuss that. Yes. As for countries like, like Poland or, or Hungary, I think it is a little bit more difficult because as the, the governments in Poland and Hungary and are growing more and more authoritarian and try to control more of and more of reality in our countries, but they cannot control social media, which are, of course, mm -hmm. uh, controlled from, from US. And in our case, this is surprisingly good because those social me media remain independent and, and you know, can be seen as, uh, as free, which there are in, in that particular case. But of course, this is so perhaps this understanding of a problem in Central Europe is not as clear as in US, for example. So what do you think we should do here to make more people, you know, more aware of uh, possible threats here? Mm -hmm. I think like what is more important, most important, we, we should 
sent like a clear message where the problem is. And mm -hmm. we discussed that uh, at the foundation and, and in, in Wildland many times. And we believe that the key notion here is denial of service. So people should realize that when they don't have control over the data and the, the data are used somewhere, then can be cut off from at the instance from the service they are using. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, like the, the example of the platforming Donald Trump is a very good example here. And whether you are a proponent or opponent of, uh, of, of Donald Trump, you realize that the, the platforming him in, in a way ended him as, 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 a, mm -hmm. as a politician he used to be. And this is a very interesting example because, of course, Twitter and fa Facebook can like the platform whoever they want. But we're, we're going to the same place because we're suddenly giving power to those platforms again. So we were saying that, you know, those platforms have a lot of, we were talking about Google actually, or, or Facebook, but, you know, getting rid of Donald Trump was some sort of giving power to Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, exactly. And of course, like the fact that they have so much authority over that is the consequence of their business model and their mm -hmm. control over our data. Because like, if we imagine, I think like the, the key term here is if we, if we think about what we can do here is how we can overcome some kinds of vendor locking we have with the, with the social media. And I very like, uh, I think that was Cory Doctorow's uh, example I, I heard one time. So imagine, imagine that you have T-Mobile operator of your mobile and your friend has orange and you're not able to call him because he's not in t-mobile and mm -hmm. this is in a way a situation we have now for example facebook and twitter and other social media so you are not able to call your friend who is on twitter using your facebook and you are not able to take your social graph from Facebook and use it on Twitter, while you can, you are able, of course, to take your address book from T-Mobile and go with that address book to Orange, and you will still have the same social graph. So, so I, I would say that's the, the biggest part of the problem. And mm -hmm. and what we could do about that, apart from, of course, building awareness that this is a real problem, is to somehow create that situation of interoperability to create a situation of, of competitive compatibility. Mm -hmm. I think this is also something like I, I heard in one of the doctor's uh, interviews, but I really like that term competitive compatibility. So when we look at that, again, data, there is also the issue of innovation, obviously, because, you know, when you have startups, when you have, well, various organizations, they want to have access to personal data because that helps them well, develop better services, yeah, yeah, right? Like, you know, what, that helps them in what exactly? Well, they can basically analyze different cases and, you know, based on that, work on better solutions. So what do you think should be done in this area? Well, I don't really see a problem here. Let's take a step back, okay? And let's okay. think, like, uh, what is innovation and what is progress here? And, and what is welfare improving? So, of course, like, thanks to using our information on how we use our phones, for example, and the apps, like uh, companies are able to build better apps and apps that are easier to use, more intuitive, more beautiful, more addictive, 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then the question is like, what part of that progress is a real progress, a real innovation? Mm -hmm. And I would define innovation and progress as something that is welfare improving. But mm -hmm. of course, we can discuss now when what is welfare and what is improving. But then I, I think like innovation that is not like welfare improving in a way is, is not an innovation. And I think, for example, that smartphones are not really worth welfare improving, like on, mm -hmm. on average, on the, mm -hmm. on the level of the whole society. Like, like we, have, we are now societies of zombies, like, you know, in our smartphones all, all, all the time. And while I can see why it happened and I see how convenient it is, I don't think this is welfare improving. I think like mm -hmm. we were happier people like 10 years ago on our way to work at Subway when we listened to music on on read books or newspapers mm -hmm. or whatever than just no you know interacting with our smartphones what i was rather referring to when i was talking about personal data to improve to to foster innovation was for example health or healthcare because you know having access to patients data helps you know those innovators or researchers understand better what kind of solutions they can come up with sure. and, and of course so this is this is important and this should be possible and I, I absolutely think this is possible but then I don't think my smartphone collects a lot of data that would be useful mm -hmm. in, in that situation I don't even think that my sport watch collects a lot of information that would be useful in that case so we are talking about very specialized medical data yes. that is collected by the very specialized agencies which have quite high level of the that data protection and that is on one hand this is already highly regulated so mm -hmm. and you know and i think this should be like regulated further and then there are very interesting techniques that we could use in that particular situation for the data science that like uh, has a, a lot to give us which mm -hmm. allows to to conduct a study in a in a really privacy preserving manner we can start with simple things like uh, just you know anonymizing the the, the data and and then mm -hmm. just um, doing the research without connecting, correlating the uh, the personal data to to the outcomes. But then there are very interesting things like enclave computing that the researcher can interact with the data and run the analysis without getting the physical data at all. And, and mm -hmm. this is like something that can be done as well. So I, I don't think that it enhanced protection of our everyday information would block any innovation on, on that level. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you think that we should be able to donate our personal data, for example, our health you know, reports or history, just like we are able to donate our kidney? Yeah, I think we should be able to do with uh, our information, with our knowledge as well, whatever we want. You know, I'm, I'm extremely pro-freedom. Mm -hmm. But then I would rather see internet, you know, and our ecosystem, like information ecosystem, not build around assumption that everyone is happy to give all the data mm -hmm. all the time, which is how it is at the moment. You mentioned at some point regulations, regulations and innovation in that respect. It's been clear to me that the more regulation we have, the sort of less innovation we might have. And uh, so, so I wanted to ask you about things like GDPR, for instance. 
And how has that, in your opinion, fostered or innovation or made innovation uh, less possible? Yeah, this is very interesting question. And also, like, <laughs> I don't have like a, I have very mixed feelings about regulating things. As, mm -hmm. as I already said, I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm rather like a freedom person, and I don't like too much regulations on, on the one hand. But on the other hand, I, I don't think we will be able to break the dominant power of the platforms we have at the moment without some scope of, of regulations in that area. That having said, I, I don't think that what is happening in Europe right now, uh, GDPR and everything else, what, what happened so far, is a step in the right direction. So, so I think it is at the same inefficient Mm -hmm. and and excessive and and probably when it comes to regulations it is the worst combination possible because mm -hmm. you have a huge burden to like businesses that that is growth with gdpr and you don't have the solution to the problem so so mm -hmm. i don't think gdpr made like Facebook or Google's or other like you know big guys business any any worse or prevented them from doing any like bad things they are doing. But at the same time, you know, it is annoying even to me as a user that you know I have to click those accept, 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 accept all the time. And the <laughs> problem here of course is that as they are monopolistic in a way, so there is nowhere else to go. <laughs> And, and you have to accept that rules uh, here or there, or, or you will be in a way like a second-class citizen who is not able to use like a admittedly very good services those platforms are providing us. So I'm, I'm really not a fan of GDPR, uh, if you're asking me, and I think no regulation is better than that kind of regulation. Having that said that, I think we need like a very simple regulations that will just, you know, block like the evil mm -hmm. things that are uh, happening right now. And I, I have like a, a few examples of things we could probably do, but we are not doing because they are like too, too far reaching probably at the moment mm -hmm. for at least for what people think and for the power of the platform. So to start with, we could ban uh, online advertising, for example, or at least ban targeted online advertising. Mm -hmm. So let's mm -hmm. take a step back to the advertising as it was in a newspaper on, on the TV. So you have some knowledge of the general demography of the people you mm -hmm. you have. So if you if you have like a program about cooking, probably you have a little bit different demography than oh, yes, like yes. the like the, when you have a program about modern art or, or, or pro program for kids. And that's it. And without you know this targeted advertising, of course, like they collect, that there would be no need to, to gather that much information about us. Mm -hmm. This is one example. This, this forced interoperability is another example. So I think like in that area, states or international organizations could do quite a lot. And I don't think we, as you know, activists, as users, will have a momentum to really change things that, you know, that over... 50% of people says, yeah, fuck Facebook, you know, we will use something else that is not collecting our data. This will not happen, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. afraid. But then I would be really afraid that, and, and I think this is what it will actually happen, and I think this will be really, really bad, that the state 
will try to regulate somehow, you know, who have a say on the platforms, you know, who can moderate them. So, okay, yeah, we don't like Twitter that platforming like uh, random people. Okay, so let's give a state authority to that platform people from Twitter. And that would be even worse, I think. So uh, you've been working on Wildland for quite some time already. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that project? So I, I would say that uh, Wildland is, is thought as, as a piece of a solution for the, for the problems we, we discussed so far. Of course, on, on the only piece because the problem is, is, is very complex. But we started with, with thinking how to give user more control over personal information about files, you know, every, everything you collect about yourself. And we thought that probably very important part of the solution would be abstracting your files, your, your data from, from your hardware so that it's really simple to move your files, to move your folders around, not really mm -hmm. thinking where they are stored, where the files are, are stored. So, so we, we have a notion of, um, of a container, of data container, which is somehow resembles, you know, Docker container. Docker is a technology used like uh, very often nowadays to, to ensure portability of a code between uh, machines. And we want to do the same for, uh, for your information, for everything mm -hmm. you collect about your life. And that data container, you can pretty easily switch the infrastructure it lives on. So it can be, that container can be stored on your personal computer that can be stored somewhere in the cloud that can be, you can easily switch like on which cloud it's stored, or you can add some redundancy by adding like a, yet another cloud or maybe not cloud, but your personal server somewhere. So basically, Wildland is about that. As, as a very nice additional feature to that, we have, and as a consequence of how we are implementing that, we have our own addressing system. So mm -hmm. addressing is, is basically like, a, for example, like the, the address you put in a, in a browser to connect with the web page. So mm -hmm. of course, if you have your, your container with your files, then you have also to have, have some address that you use to connect, yeah, to con not, not really, not always URL, it can be like an IP address, oh, or okay. it can be like a whatever that your computer is able to interpret to connect with the backend that container leaves on. And, and with own addressing system, we are able to do like quite a lot of things. Like first, this is independent from other addressing systems. So... This is quite robust when it comes to censorship resistance. And this is, of course, nice. That was one of our goals. And then you can, you can build a kind of like a file system, file system internet on top of that. So you can, you can connect like a file spaces of different users in something that would resemble internet. We don't know yet uh, how useful that be uh, <laughs> and uh, for what, but we are pretty sure that that will, will allow like much more freedom with your personal information. And, and of course, at the moment, you're rather using that mostly for like a personal file. So like whatever you have in a form of PDFs or like a spreadsheets or any other documents that you normally put on your hardware or, or Dropbox. But then of course, we, we, we believe that, that Wildland can be used as a backend for applications as well. So, you know, in a, in a, in the dream scenario, in a couple of years, you could, you could think you could use something like, like, like Facebook or Twitter connected with Wildland to store your 
data, your information from that platforms and, you know, have them under your control all the time and not like delegating the control to, to someone who provides you app and space for your files as well. Julian, uh, very best of luck with the project. And thank you very much for the chat today. I liked it. I hope it was interesting for you as well. <laughs> it was definitely quite sure it will be interesting for our listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. And we look forward to your company for the next episode of Emerging Europe Talks. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and do leave a review. This will help us ensure a regular stream of great guests you want to hear from. And finally, check out our news and analysis platform at emerging-europe.com. Thank you.